Thank you, Sandy. I hope you didn't miss it that this week we started a new season. Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, which is the marking of the season of Lent in the church year. Lent is the 40 days that will now lead us up to Easter. Right? It's a time where we prepare ourselves for the somber remembering of, of Jesus' betrayal and his, his death on the cross. It's also the time where we prepare ourselves for that, for that great celebration of Easter that marks the end of Lent. Now, as many of you know, the tradition for Lent has often been to give something up for Lent, right? Something that, that impacts your daily life. Something that will remind you every day of the sacrifice Jesus made. So often you give up pop, or you give up chocolate, or you give up television, or, or if you're really brave, you give up Facebook, um, right? And you remember, oh yeah, oh yeah, Jesus gave up much more than that, right? It's not that, that giving something up makes us holier. It's a reminder. But oftentimes, even though many of us like to give something up for Lent, we, we miss the second half of that intention. Right? It's intended that, yes, we give something up, but we give something up in order to also take something on for these 40 days. To take on a spiritual discipline of some sort. To refocus ourselves towards God. And so I want to invite and challenge all of us here this morning to take something up for Lent. You probably noticed your bulletin today. If you, uh, if you take your bulletin outside shell, it has that cover on it. Um, every week for each Sunday in Lent, your bulletin cover on the inside is going to have a weekly reading plan. And this reading plan will take you over these 40 days through all four gospel stories. It's going to lay them out for you parallel. So that you'll see the same story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll read the journey and the life of Jesus side by side, all in this season of Lent. I want to invite you to, to take up that challenge. It, it's set out to read five days a week, so you get the weekends off. Or you get the weekends to catch up if you, if you fell behind. And you'll, you'll find it interesting because some days you'll read these parallel stories and you'll feel like you read the same story two or three times. Sometimes you'll read it and you'll notice some, some small changes that will make you wonder and think, I wonder why it's different here than there. And other times you'll read these stories and you'll think you read a totally different story. I hope that, that this journey will lead you to, to wonder, to ponder, to think, to question, maybe most importantly to discuss. Because it would be awesome if you if you chose to take this journey together with somebody. You know, maybe you'll use it for your individual devotion time. That's great. Maybe you want to do it as a family. Maybe after supper, even if you don't do dinner time devotions. Maybe all of you take out your Bibles. One of you choose a book of the Bible. One Matthew, one Mark, one Luke, and one John. And take turns reading your sections for that night. And then talk about it afterwards. Maybe you want to partner up with a friend. Maybe go out for coffee every Saturday morning and talk about what you read. Either way, I hope that you'll take up the challenge to take on this reading. If, if you do nothing else, if you choose not to, you'll at least get a sermon every Sunday from that section of reading, that section of Jesus' life, as we follow in his footsteps. I, I don't know what could be more appropriate for the season of Lent than to see the life of Jesus and to be challenged to follow in those footsteps. You know, as we start this journey of following Jesus for Lent, 
we need to ask a vital question. A vital question which maybe for some of us here might seem painfully obvious, the answer. The question is this. I want you to ask, is Jesus worth following? Is Jesus worth following? And my guess is in many of your minds, you've already given that default answer, yes. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Hey, but the question isn't, do you believe in Jesus? Because believing in Jesus is a head answer, right? It's, it's an intellectual answer. Yes, I believe in Jesus. That's what you do with your head. The question is, is do we follow him? And that's a heart answer. That's a daily life answer. You see, at the very start of this reading challenge and invitation, I, I don't want us to be reading to get more facts about Jesus. Many of us don't need more facts about Jesus. Some of us do. For some of us, we've never read like this before. And we're going to learn a lot of new information. Many of us are going to read things we've already read before. We don't need more facts. Instead, we need to read these stories of Jesus to let them shape our lives. Because if we decide that Jesus is worth following, and if we truly decide to follow him, then it will change us. Following Jesus will change how I treat my children. It will change how I treat my parents. It will change how I treat my friends and my neighbors. If I'm following Jesus, it will change my attitude and my effort at school and at work every day. If I'm following Jesus, it will change how I treat my body. It will change what I do with my money. It will change what I choose to watch, what I choose to read, where I choose to click on the computer. It will change all of me if I'm following him. Right? That's what discipleship is all about, right? Discipleship isn't knowing about Jesus. It's following Jesus. The definition of discipleship that we're working with around here is this. It's the com communal costly, lifelong journey of becoming more like Jesus and calling others to do the same. Let that, let that soak in for a moment. The communal, we do it together. The costly, there's a price to be paid. Lifelong journey of becoming more like Jesus and calling others to do the same. So, the question that each one of us needs to answer this morning before we start reading is whether we will follow in his footsteps. Whether we will let our lives be shaped by Jesus' life. Is Jesus really worth following? As you ponder that question, know that, that this is an all or nothing answer. Okay? We don't have the option of partially following him, of, of kind of meandering after him, you know, staying a few steps behind. Jesus doesn't leave that option open to us. We're either all in or we are all out. Right? C.S. Lewis, many of you know him, a classic Christian writer. He laid this truth out pretty bluntly in his book, Mere Christianity. I just want to read a paragraph from that book. Here's what he says. Because I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. 
And this is what they say. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And that's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Did you catch that? There is no middle ground here. Either Jesus truly is and was the Son of God, which means following him is exactly what we must and fully want to do, or else he was, he was a crazy man, or the biggest deceiver that this world has ever known, which means to follow him is exactly the opposite of what we would want to do. Right, just kind of hanging out with Jesus on a Sunday morning, and then forgetting about him for the rest of the week, just kind of looking for some moral lessons, a little direction on life, that's not an option. Not an option. And the readings we're going to do this week from, from the beginning of each of the Gospels make it clear just who this Jesus is. And it's interesting, as I, as I looked them over, they, they do it with water. Start with me. We're going to look at all three beginnings. Start with me by turning to the book of John. The first chapter, John, page 1027 in the Bibles you have in front of you. We're going to look at three different passages from three different Gospels, so you want to keep your Bibles open. John's Gospel is the, the poetic one. And so I want you to listen how he starts his book, full of images, full of pictures. Just the first two verses of John chapter 1. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, did you notice that verse 1 starts with the very same words that verse 2 ends with? Words that should ring a bell in your mind. It starts with, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. In verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Now, when you hear the words, in the beginning, what other passage comes to mind? Anybody have a passage come to mind? Genesis 1, verse 1. That's how the whole book starts, right? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the, depth, of the depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's Genesis 1, 1. So, John intentionally ties those verses together. What he's saying here in verses 1 and 2 is Jesus is right there at the very beginning of all time. Jesus is the one who's there hovering over the formless and empty waters of the universe waiting to be created, waiting for God's creative word to be spoken. Jesus is present over the waters of creation. And by placing him there, John boldly confirms Jesus' divinity. 
In the beginning was the word. Now, when they heard the word, his Greek readers would have identified the word as, as rational principle and thought that governs all things. His Jewish readers would have read God himself. The word is God. John says, no, the word is Jesus. They point to Jesus. So what he's saying already, in just at the very beginning, he's saying that this person, Jesus, was with God at the very beginning of creation. In fact, this person of Jesus, who I'm going about to tell you about, was God. So at the very first verses of his story, John boldly declares, this is God I'm telling you about. This person, Jesus, is God himself walking on this earth, talking. So that means the following 21 chapters of the book of John are either the story of God himself, in which case there should be no, no more valuable words on this earth, or they're the story of a madman and a deceiver, in which case they're some of the most dangerous, deceitful words ever written. Which do you believe? Which do you believe? Your answer to that question will shape your daily life. Because if you believe that this story here that John wrote is the story of, of God himself, then how can you not eagerly devour it? Right? How, how can you not desire to read it? This is God. How can you not... Open up, looking for his instructions and his directions to, to see his patterns for living, to say, that's how I should live. This would be the most eager thing we ever read. How can we not be interested? How can we not find any time in our day? How can we not follow? If we find ourselves disinterested in Jesus' story, perhaps that's our answer. To the question of, is Jesus worth following? I guess not. Because we don't want to know who we're following. So John starts by bringing that water of creation right at the very beginning to confirm that Jesus is God. This is God we're talking about here. Luke, on the other hand, he begins by bringing us to the water of the womb to confirm Jesus' humanity. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, page 991. We're going backwards here, so you'll turn back a little ways. 991. Luke is the, is the author who gives us Jesus' birth narrative. Right? You'll find it interesting as you do your reading this week. Mark and John skip the birth narrative altogether. Matthew just gives us a few little paragraphs. Luke, however, makes sure that we know all the details of Jesus' birth. He's the one who introduces us in chapter 1 to a young girl by the name of Mary. And an angel comes, the angel Gabriel comes to visit this young teenage girl and gives her the message that she is about to give birth to the Messiah. And she rightfully wonders in, in chapter 1, in verse 34, how, how can this be? How can this be since I am a virgin? Good question. Very good question. And the angel answers in verse 35 with these words. 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Okay, it's interesting here. Luke makes a point of confirming again Jesus' deity, just like John did. Right? He says, God himself here is the Father. There is no human father, but the Spirit of God will come upon you. And so this child will be called the Son of God. So he confirms, he confirms Jesus' divinity, but he also confirms Jesus' humanity. Here's Mary. Mary is fully going to be the mother of Jesus. For nine months, Jesus lives and develops in the water of her womb. Just like every other child. Jesus travels the birth canal and comes out crying, just like every other baby. Jesus grows and develops, just like every other young boy. It's Luke, who later in chapter 2 tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. He's fully human and fully divine. Which is exactly who we need Jesus to be. Right? The Heidelberg Catechism affirms the water of the womb, the humanity of Jesus, with these words. It's a couple sentences. It says, The eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary a truly human nature so that he might become David's true descendant in all things like us, except sin. So, when it comes to following, when it comes to choosing to follow Jesus, we can follow him through the details of our lives because he has walked the life that we're going to walk. Jesus faced the same challenges that we face. He faced the same pains. He faced the same disappointments, the same discouragements, the same temptations that you face. And every response that he gave to those was right. So know that whatever we are going to face in this life, whatever you're going to face this week, whatever you're going to face this year, whatever lies ahead of you, Jesus has been there before. He has. He experienced it as a human being. And now he invites you to follow him. To learn how to live life to the fullest, just as he did. So the water of creation confirms Jesus' deity. The water of the womb in Luke confirms his humanity. Then comes Matthew. Turn back again a few more pages to Matthew chapter 3, page 977. We find there in Matthew 3 that the water of baptism confirms Jesus' identity as the promised Messiah. And here in chapter 3, starting at verse 13, Jesus comes to John the Baptist, who's, who's busy baptizing out in the Jordan River, and, and he asks John to baptize him, and John puts up a little a little resistance because he knows who Jesus is. He says, you should be baptizing me, not me, you. But after a little bit of resistance, with, with Jesus' insistence, John baptizes him. And with the water of the Jordan River still dripping off of him, listen to what happens starting in verse 16. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. At baptism, God identifies Jesus as his Son. Affirms him as the promised one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The water of baptism confirms him as the Messiah. Right? It, it does that. It begins Jesus, it marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But more than that, this water of baptism, this voice of God, is an invitation to every single one of us. It's an invitation to follow him. Right? That's what the voice of God is saying. Look, look, this is my son. This is the one that's worth following. He will show you the way. It's God's declaration that, that a life lived in Jesus' footsteps, a life lived according to his direction, a life lived as a disciple of him is a life that is truly worth living. It's an invitation to you to follow the only one who can truly give you life. So that invitation is ours this morning. It's ours as a church community. It's ours as individuals sitting here. Right? With, a, with a taste of communion still in our mouths, we need to decide who Jesus truly is for us. Because he will not stay a casual acquaintance or a curiosity. Not the kind of relationship he's looking for. He's not satisfied just to be your buddy, to watch you live your life however you want to live it. Now, each one of us needs to answer God's invitation. Will we follow him? Will we be a disciple? Will we begin this communal, costly, lifelong journey of becoming more like Jesus and inviting others to join us? Will we make him Lord of our lives? We really have three options. Three options when it comes to Jesus. Either he is a liar, or he's a lunatic, or we make him our Lord. And he's only your Lord, not because you say so. He's your Lord when you are his disciple. When you are on that lifelong journey of becoming more like him. So the question is yours to answer this morning. Is Jesus worth following? You can say what you believe as you sit here this morning. But you will prove what you believe when you walk out of this room. As you walk in the footsteps of this week, will you be following Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming to this earth. To become a human being. To walk the steps of life. 
that you knew we would be walking. You walked the steps of joy and success. You walked the steps of grief and sadness. You walked the steps of of mundane days where we seem to be putting in just the usual time. You walked the steps of living with neighbors, putting up with family members. You walked the steps of days that were filled with disappointments and discouragements. You walked the steps of of death. You walked every step of life with us. Thank you for showing us the way. And now I pray that you give us the courage to follow you. Not to give a half-hearted effort of being your buddy and friend. Not just to to put in our time on Sundays, to live our lives throughout the week on our own and then keep you in our back pocket for the times when life gets difficult and then we pull you out and decide to look to you. No, Father, make us people who commit to the discipleship journey, to that lifelong, costly journey of following in your footsteps and in living life the fullest, living life the way that we were intended to live. And I thank you, Father, right up front for your grace that is there to forgive us and pick us up every time that we fail. Because no matter how hard we try, 